Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Dirt Radio. Organic. Friends of the Earth. Activism. Underground. Political action. Necessary. Wind farms. Indigenous struggles. Land rights. Anti-nuclear. Nanotechnology. Climate change. Coal barons. Mining magnates. Activists. Educating. Communities. Transforming. Communities. Mobilising a sustainable planet. Get involved now. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. Good morning, Melbourne. And welcome to Dirt Radio on 3CR this fine sunny morning. I just want to do a big shout out to all those brave people at the docks last night and just want to say a big free Palestine and ACAB. Um, so today we're talking with Sonia Van Hewitt that's on the line and she lives in Ocean Grove. And we have Ali in the studio who's a community organiser with Friends of the Earth's Act on Climate Collective and the Act on Climate Collective is currently campaigning for community-led climate adaptation that is continuously and adequately funded via a community climate adaptation fund. They're doing incredible work to cultivate climate resilience. Uh, and the collective has recently launched the Frontline Climate Alliance at the end of last year. This alliance is being established to build grassroots power behind community-led climate adaptation and to support those being hit first and worst by climate impacts. So a big good morning to you, Ali. And Sanya, do we have you on the line? We're not getting through, Sanya, sorry. Uh, we might just go to you, Ali, for now, and we'll yeah try and get Sanya on a little bit later after the, the break. Um, so, Ali, would you be able to just, yeah, give us a little rundown of, you know, what the Port Phillip Bay Coastal Hazard Assessment was and what it outlined in the report and what are some of the impacts? Yeah, so the Port Phillip Bay Coastal Hazard Assessment is basically a report that the state government released a week ago um, and it's been... Um, yeah, quite a moment um, for coastal communities to be faced with uh, data around coastal climate impacts um, and sea level rise, coastal inundation that they're going to be expecting. So it was um, an, a report which basically encompassed um, all of the science behind specific uh, local projections. And um, there's been, <clears throat> yeah, a lot of concern about the timeline that our coastal communities are um, needing to respond to these climate impacts um, and based on these scientific reports. Um, and this is, this is a really concerning moment because um, reports like this, having this really clear data about climate impacts on a local level, um, is something that the community have been demanding for years. Um, this has been like one of many reports that the Victorian state government have been um, in the process of producing. And we um, have been having conversations with the community about um, the need for this data to be um, really transparent and accessible for communities in order for them to create adaptation adaptation plans for um, building community resilience in the face of climate impacts. So basically, um, 
Sanya can speak to a little bit um, more of that community response that's happening on the coastal um, area, such as in Ocean Grove. Um, but from the perspective of uh, our collective at Friends of the Earth um, and the work we're doing in the climate impact space, we're um, really concerned about the lack of transparency that's coming out of the state government at the moment. We um, are really wanting to see so much more in terms of the data around the climate uh, projections um, for the state because we know that climate impacts are here already um, and communities need to have all of the resources that they need in order to act um, in response to these impacts. So <clears throat> what that looks like for, for us um, at the moment in terms of action is, yeah, bringing together communities from um, across the state who are on the front line of climate impacts and having conversations about their adaptation plans. So in the climate movement, there's a lot of work being done to mitigate climate impacts. But what we're focusing on at the moment is the fact that there is a bunch of climate impacts that are already locked in. Um, and so we need to support communities to actually <clears throat> create plans to adapt the way that they're living and responding to these climate impacts. So it's a really defining point in our trajectory um, of having local evidence around these climate impacts. Um, and what we need now is more transparency around any action that the government is going to take um, to support communities to adapt to climate impacts. Um, and then also to, to fund this adaptation because disaster relief um, is is only um, <clears throat> useful after the disaster occurs. Um, but what we can actually do is increase the resiliency that communities have um, in the face of disasters and to soften the impacts um, and to ensure that there is like protocols and structures in place to care for people um, as these impacts worsen. Um, so it's a strategy that happens alongside mitigation um, in order to, yeah, give the communities the, the resiliency they need to withstand impacts, um, really considering the different people um, and different ways that they're vulnerable to climate impacts, whether it be, yeah, bushfires, floods, etc. cetera. Mm. So, yeah, at this, at this stage, we're really focusing on um, supporting communities to be visioning what their adaptation plan might look like um, and then we're working towards um, calling for the state government to fund um, adaptation measures. So that would be through a um, Victoria-wide uh, adaptation fund um, and we would like to see that permanently secured in the budget um, and that would allow communities to apply for funding for their localised projects and these initiatives will be tailored to their specific impacts, their need for resilience um, and with their local knowledge, um, yeah, designed to respond to um, what's already happening and what's only going to be worsening. Mm. And do you have a few examples of maybe what these projects could look like or if, or if they're already happening in these communities? Mm, yeah, so I think um, in light of the recent flooding events in Victoria, um, we can take that as an example and um, preparing for how we're going to respond to, to major events like that um, could include initiatives like 
yeah, mutual aid and having infrastructure around um, like flood wardens, for example, um, where you actually have people in the community who are dedicated to watching um, watching for the, the signs and not actually relying on like, yeah, government knowledge um, and communication to to tell the community when to respond and when to act because we know from those recent events that that um, in the central Victorian floods recently that didn't happen fast enough so mm. community allowing communities to be autonomous and determine um, the ways that they're responding to disasters means like giving them access to the information they need to determine their timeline um, in yeah responding to crises. Yeah, absolutely. Really important stuff and really things that are sh- that should have been considered and um, actualized a while ago now, considering we're in the depths of, you know, climate uh, catastrophe and, you know, these floods that happened in Victoria, uh, we saw a similar um, devastation level only 14 months ago. So it just goes to show how incredibly... Um, important it is that the government starts to step up and respond to uh, things such as this hazard assessment and um, actually put in place these these things that you're speaking about today. Um, we're just going to go to a quick song while we're trying to get Sonia on the line. Um, so this is David Bowie Changes. We'll speak to you again in a moment. And my time was running wild A million dead-end streets And every time I thought I got it made It seemed the taste was not so sweet So I turned myself to face me But I've never caught a glimpse How the others must see the faker I'm much too fast to take that test Ch-ch-ch-changes Turn and face the strange Ch-ch-changes Don't wanna be a richer man But never leave the stream of warm and permanent sand So the days float through my eyes But still the days seem the same And these children that you spit on As they try to change their worlds Are immune to your consultations They're quite aware of what they're going through Changes Turn and face the strain Changes Don't tell them to grow up and out of it Changes Turn and face the strain Changes Where's your shame you've left us up to 
Welcome back to Dirt Radio and 3CR. You're listening to Alana Mountain from Friends of the Earth with Ali. And we should have Dr. Sonia Van Hewitt on the line from Ocean Grove. Sonia, are you there? Hello, Sonia. Can you hear us? Hello. Hello. Hey. Yay, we did it. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> Woo. How are you going this morning, Sonia? Oh, I'm doing well, thanks, Alana. I'm hoping everyone else is good too. Yeah, we're we're having fun. We're having a riot here in Dirt Radio. Uh, <laughs> so we've got you on today to share a bit about your local experience um, living down at Ocean Grove and, yeah, this new report that's come out and, you know, what are some of the local impacts that you're seeing and what are some of your concerns? Well, um, just to preface a little bit, that um, I also have lived around the uh, Port Phillip Bay, in particular around the Mordialic Parkdale area. So I have seen changes over time in that area as well. But um, there, there was a 2015 report that was commissioned by the local council that um, showed the different areas around the Geelong area that would be um, impacted by storm surge, inundation, groundwater changes and things like that. So since 2015, this report has been out, but very little has been actioned. It's mainly been mitigation rather than um, adaptation to be able to um, resist any problems. What I've seen here, um, just in in terms of going on a walk on the beach every day, is um, storm surge. So while we do have sea level rises um, occurring very slowly, the immediate effect of storm surge, which is when you have a very strong onshore wind and you have a high tide at the same time, you get these large waves that actually impact the coastline and cause massive erosion events. Mm. These storm surges can also affect the groundwater table. So we've got a number of very low-lying, very um, close to the shore coastal lakes that are essentially fresh water. But because of the rise in the groundwater and the inundation of saltwater, we're actually getting brackish environments in some of those lake areas. And that means it's a change of biota within there, which also means that any of the um, animals involved in those food chains uh, are being impacted and having to adapt or, or go elsewhere. Um, and so there's um, yeah, impacts of all sorts of things happening with that. And just to um, also make an example so people will understand what a storm surge is, um, you would have seen the, um, the photographs of those beach um, mansions along the New South Wales coastline being um, under, undercut by waves. That's a storm surge event. The 2011 Brisbane floods um, were caused by a combination of high rainfall and storm surge and king tide. So those are the sorts of impacts that could impact Geelong, and in particular my own community around the Bowen River. Mm. Doesn't sound very good, Sonia. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's pretty dramatic, isn't it? Yes, it does sound dramatic. Um, so I'm just wondering who, you know, do you see being the first and worst affected in your community and and other shoreline communities around the country? There's, um, I'll, I'll start with my own community and it's definitely areas around Point Henry, um, Stingery Bay, Moolap, Newcomb. 
um, Leopold uh, around the Sands. There are other communities such as St Leonard's which are very low-lying and they're very close to um, the shore. Um, there are areas that have actually been inundated by storm surge in the past um, and have had seawater actually ingress into their houses. So uh, those areas are very low-lying and will be affected by storm surge. In particular, as, um, as the sea levels slightly rise, the western part of Port Phillip Bay will be more subjected to storm surge and inundation. Um, the coastlines, the cliff coastlines, of course, are eroding. Uh, I've estimated we've lost at least three metres of cliff along the Ocean Grove to Colandina to Queenscliff foreshore um, since... Um, I think about five years ago. So we've just lost three metres of cliff area um, just because of storm surge. Wow, that's incredible. That's really quick. Oh, it's it's frightening. It's really frightening. And that doesn't count what's happening along um, Port Phillip Bay and things like that, where we've got a lot of coastal communities. Um, and, and, these, and while we tend to think of people as being well-off and living in these coastal environments and, and on the foreshores, a lot of places are also quite, um, you know, like they're, they're hard-working, you know, middle-class and lower-class people uh, living in, you know, accommodation that they can afford. Um, and they're also at danger. You know, places along the, um, the Elwood Canal are in danger of inundation. People living in Werribee, um, you know, a lot of the new estates that are at low levels. Um, mm-hmm. Around Chelsea Heights, where you've got wetlands who have been, that have been reclaimed as um, housing estates, all those sorts of areas are under threat of um, inundation of groundwater by salt um, and also uh, flooding events, even though they're further inland because of the groundwater rising. Yeah, Sonia, I think you raise such a good point um, in terms of these kinds of um, crises exacerbating in existing struggles for people um, yeah. and how disproportionately people will be impacted by climate impacts. Um, so those who are living precautiously... Um, precarious, precariously, um, yeah, will be even further impacted um, by destabling circumstances such as storms, such as floods, fires, etc. And, you know, we saw that in Cairns where we had remote communities absolutely stranded, um, which is, yeah, just further, <clears throat> further uh, discrimination towards like First Nations people and not supporting, um, yeah, their basic needs being met. Absolutely, yeah. And it will cause mortgage stress and a lot of people can't insure their homes. So, you know, if they've got a mortgage and their home has been, you know, uh, impacted, then they've got no recourse. It's, it's basically, that. what do they do? You know, you can, you can see that um, people will be under the severe um, trauma and severe stress. Mm. I just wanted to ask you both... Um, you know, what's your take on the release and the response uh, from the community so far and, yeah, the government? I might start with you, Sonia, and then go to Ali. Um, m- most people who uh, were, had read the um, 2015 local report um, were already very warned about this sort of thing happening. Um, it certainly generated conversation around those people who ha- have listened to the ABC news report and read the ABC release of the CSIRO report. Um, but the wider public are still unaware. 
there doesn't seem to be any mainstream news that's um, that's generating interest in the local community. It's mainly by word of mouth or, you know, people sh- trying to share on the community Facebook pages and things like that. You still get the naysayers that say, you know, you're dreaming, you know, this is the sort of thing that's just cyclical and it always happens. Um, you know, but I think that our local government and our state government need to start uh, campaigns of people actively looking at the problems in their own local community and individualising the responses for each of those communities because every community will have a different response that's necessary and then they need to start supporting them. But until um, the local communities become aware and can discuss what the problems could be, I think that we're, um, the government um, won't be able to act they'll only have a blanket solution. So the governments need to actually let the locals know, this is what you need to do, this is what you need to start doing, and then you get back to us and we'll see what we can do with that. That's my personal opinion anyway. Yeah, this really feeds into the work we're doing at Friends of the Earth um, because it really is a time for communities to be determining their own lives and futures. Um, And there needs to be processes that are localised, as Sanya has said here, whereby people can come together and decide how they're going to make the changes that are inevitably needed um, at this point in the crisis. Um, as each degree of of warming increases. So we really can't be responding to disasters in this kind of band-aid reactive way. We need to be on the front foot by acquiring the information about impacts and creating initiatives to shift how those impacts can be less harmful. So... um, Exactly. And and I want to say that um, disasters create severe trauma. So, you know, that if we can prevent that trauma by taking action prior to it happening, then we'll have a better and a stronger and a more mentally resilient community rather than one that has already been battered and bruised and is finding it difficult to cope with repeated, you know, um, stresses. Um, life's stressful enough without having your home collapse around you, mm. um, that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's... Uh, best to have a plan and be prepared than to have nothing in mind and to just be reacting in the moment where you have limited energy and you know dealing with compounding yeah. crises yeah absolutely Ooh. I think um, also in terms of like a broader statewide community response what we're working on is really calling for an adaptation fund to to be permanently secured in a state budget um, because that really allows communities to have that autonomy um, and self-determination to be creating their visions and also for them to be funded. So to to have that pool of money set aside by the state government um, and to have communities apply for, for funding from that to put towards their own um, local adaptation plans and initiatives. So at Friends of the Earth, we're starting to bring together people from across these climate-impacted frontline communities to to discuss how we get more transparency around these kinds of government um, reports and communications to to have the information and, and access we need um, to, to the knowledge of, of what those impacts look like for each community. Um, and then... To be, to be responding to creating the resources needed for um, different parts of, of the state. Um, and alongside this, we're really building power to, to kind of campaign for this adaptation um, fund um, so that we have this really tangible resource <clears throat> from the government alongside um, the community power of um, creating our own plans and, and 
and really relying on on ourselves and and each other to um, create the safety um, and resiliency that we need. So um, we are running this campaign um, which is connected to the Frontline Climate Alliance in Victoria Um, and this is an alliance that we've recently launched and we have another um, meeting coming up on Monday at midday which anyone is welcome to join um, and participate in discussion around how we as communities um, locally as well as collectively um, adapt and build resiliency to to climate impacts Um, and yeah build power to to make sure that we are utilizing all the resources that we have in our communities and beyond to be more resilient to climate impacts absolutely we're just going to go to a quick announcement and we'll be back with ali and sonia in a moment I wanna drop food, not bombs. Hot trains, bottles, giving every info shop. I wanna give free therapy out in the park. Go to preschool, dump some hot packs, watch drop food, not bombs. When I was new to Melbourne, I found a food, not bombs fly on the road, and I had like this feast with a carrot, and carrots are my favorite vegetable. Yeah, I think they were asking for help doing stuff, and I got in touch. We. I guess rescue food. That would otherwise go to waste. I like the aspect of sharing food and um, not making anyone feel obligated to pay anything for it. We make a real point at Food Not Bombs of involving everyone who wants to be involved in whichever part they want to be involved in. For more information, go to fnbmelb.noblogs.org. Food Not Bombs is the 3CR supporter. You're listening to Dirt Radio, Friends of the Earth on 3CR. I'm Alana and we have Ali and Sonia on the line. Uh, We're just going to wrap up this awesome segment that we've been speaking about, um, climate and the impacts along our beautiful coastlines uh, with what are some tangible actions that people can take to begin, uh, you know, raising awareness and well not begin because it's already begun but increasing that awareness and yeah inspiring each other to get involved with this incredible campaign so I might go to you first Ali what are some of the things people can do today who are listening yeah I guess there's a range of um ways people can engage with taking action on issues like um climate impacts and climate justice um locally building relationships with our neighbors and actually building stronger um, connections in order to um, respond to these disasters and and worsening circumstances um, is one way. Demanding transparency um, around government reports and data to be released so that um, communities can then take that data and act on it um, as accurately as possible. Um, To join campaigning um, like we're doing at Friends of the Earth for a Community Climate Adaptation Fund for Victoria um, or participate in conversation around the Frontline Climate Alliance in Vic. Um, And then also climate justice means land back and Jan 26 is this Friday. And so turning out to your local rally um, here in the city um, is a really integral step in in taking action for climate justice. Um, So, yeah, solidarity with First Nations people through this week. 
Thanks so much, Ali, and really important reminder to people to get out there on Friday 26. Uh, Sanya, do you have a few last comments of how people can get involved? In the local community, the social media, every community has its own Facebook page. So sharing the reports, especially the local reports, is really important. Um, going to your local, um, to your community government, uh, like the, um, the, you know, I go to the council and I will present letters and read letters out demanding action. If you can do that, you know, flood the local council with that sort of thing and ask them to advocate on behalf of the community to the state and federal governments, they will feel obligated to do that if enough people do that. So community in mass, um, you know, trying to um, educate everybody else, spreading the word, and then forcing your local government to help you, to advocate for you. I think they're, they're really powerful tools which might help, um, you know, the, the state and federal governments actually take action, more, more targeted action. Absolutely. That all sounds like really important points of action. I just want to say a really big thank you to you both for joining me today on air. And I hope that folks out there have some tangible things that they can go on with. And big shout out to our comrades yesterday fighting.